Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome to Genesis Church. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor for Genesis. I spend most weekends preaching over at our Noblesville campus, uh, but excited uh, to be here uh, sharing with you today. And uh, as we get started, uh, maybe just by a show of hands, I'm going to need a little participation, a little help if you would. Uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you know what this object is. All right, just get some hands up around the room. All right, we've got some people uh, that are aware. Maybe think about it for a moment. If you look at it long enough, maybe you'll recognize it. Uh, This is a toilet auger. All right, and I know you're thinking, wow, I can't believe he brought it with him to uh, church today. Uh, I cleaned it as best as I can. And if you don't know what a toilet auger is, uh, just use your imagination. All right, think about it for a moment, and there's probably a really good chance uh, that you can figure out what you do uh, with something like this. If you own a toilet auger, if you've ever used one, uh, if you've got one in your garage or in your shed or something, then chances are that you know a terrible horrible, uh, no good, a very bad day. And uh, that happened in our house about a week ago. We had some friends over uh, and their children for lunch, and we had a lot of kids in and out of this one particular restroom. And I was eating my lunch uh, with my friends when all of a sudden my six-year-old girl came up next to me and just kind of whispered in my ear, uh, Daddy, Mommy needs you. And so uh, I followed Kate into the restroom where my wife was working with a plunger uh, and working on this particular toilet, and uh, she thought she had it, and the words, the question came out of her mouth, should I go ahead and flush it? And I just want to say that I didn't respond. I I had not yet had a chance to process and think through the pros and cons of something like that when all of a sudden she flushed it, and well, if you've ever been in a moment like that where you thought it was unclogged and it's not unclogged, well, you know that we all of a sudden had this toxic spill uh, in our bathroom, and it just kept coming, and just didn't want to stop until we finally shut the water off. But at that point, well, this spill had not only kind of accumulated on our bathroom floor, but we would soon find out that it was also seeping through uh, the cracks and stuff into, we have this uh, half basement, half crawl space, thankfully on the crawl space side. So now a couple of highlights uh, of the uh, event uh, were going down into the crawl space and, uh, and the event. Uh, actually uh, unclipping the vent and pouring the re- what had accumulated in the event or uh, the vent into the bucket. But the second highlight for me really was the shop vac. And when I was down there uh, vacuuming up in the uh, crawl space, and you know the exhaust of the shop vac, well, it turned in my direction and it sprayed all over my face. So uh, I have not developed E. coli yet, uh, to my knowledge, uh, and, and hopefully uh, that won't happen. But uh, it, it really was a pretty incredible event. It was a pretty uh, kind of a messed up uh, sort of day for us, at least for a while. You could say that I was up to my knees in it. That would be true. And uh, But hey, it happens, right? It happens uh, to all of us. So hey, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, a little transition here. Uh, we're continuing in this series uh, this morning called Identity Crisis. And we've been uh, teaching through the book of Ephesians here. And hopefully you've been reading a little bit of Ephesians on your own each week. Uh, and if you've been involved at any level, 
uh, whether uh, participating on Sundays or reading for yourself, you've maybe discovered how the book of Ephesians is really divided into two parts. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 are all about the who we are in Christ, All right, that as a Christian, uh, your identity is in Jesus Christ. And, and chapters 4 through 6 are all about how we live in Christ, how we live from our identity uh, in Him. Well, last week, uh, Kevin was here and was talking about how when we trust Jesus with our lives, what we're essentially doing is we're taking off the old self and all of our formal ways, uh, former ways of thinking and living apart from God and what we do and through the power of Christ in us is that we instead put on this new self. Uh, this is our, our, our new identity in Jesus Christ. And, and that means that because we're in Christ and because we're in relationship with him, uh, we start seeing life differently. Uh, we start seeing people differently in a whole new way. And what we have in us is a capacity uh, to live and to love more like Jesus uh, in this world and with the people around us each day. And so uh, if you read Ephesians 4 this past week, and hopefully you did, uh, or do it again this week, uh, you saw for yourself as the Apostle Paul commanded, us as Christians to live a life worthy, he says, of the calling that we've received. He talked about things like being humble and and gentle and patient uh, with the people around us. Uh, uh, We are encouraged by him to be truthful uh, and to be honest, to be loving, uh, not easily angered, you know, and that includes by people who drive too slowly in the left lane, right? Or uh, to be easily angered by people who send email forwards, you know, that, 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 that are always Uh, in your inbox. I mean, that's what he's saying, right? I mean, what's the result uh, for being in Christ? Well, as the Apostle Paul explains, your new self has replaced the old self, and because we're in Christ, we're called to live differently in this world. But that's not always easy, right? I mean, can we just acknowledge that? I mean, it's, it's not easy, and I mean, any one of us would be willing, I think, to acknowledge, you know, even if you're in Christ, how difficult that can be uh, to live for him, especially in different situations. And, and, and we know that, well, you got to know that we can't do this on our own. Uh, you, you cannot do this on your own. And that's why it's important that we recognize that if we want to live fully for Jesus on our own, well, we can't do it on our own. Uh, we weren't created that way. I mean, it's why he gave us the gift of his presence and uh, the Holy Spirit to live in us. And that's precisely why, as Kevin mentioned last week, that transformation happens best in relationship. Uh, that when we're in relationship with Jesus, that means that as you and I become more and more dependent on God, as you spend more and more time in prayer, more time focused on his presence uh, and his power in your life, I mean, you can't help. I mean, you can't help but become more like Jesus. And so we need God's presence and his power to live as he wants us to live. And that's especially true uh, with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, And so if you're in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to skip over to verse 31. Uh, We'll have the verses on the screen here for you too. I think you'll also find some Bibles uh, scattered around the room. You're willing to take or able to take one of those if you'd like. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Here's what Paul says. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Paul says bitterness is uh, not for those who are in 
Christ. And if, and if it's clogged up inside of you, all right, see, you see the connection? You see what I did with the toilet auger and how I connected it to this? Huh? Pretty clever. If, you're, if that is clogged up inside you, he says, it's got to go. You have to get rid of it because the problems are only going to grow. They're only going to deepen. And he says that, he, what he's comparing it to is everything he's been talking about to, up to this point in chapter 4. He says that's old self-living, all right, bitterness, and rage and anger, these are that, that this is old self living. And, and so, what does he say we are to do and to practice instead? Let's read uh, instead, let's read it together. Verse 32 here's what Paul says He says, Let's read it together. Get rid of all bitterness. Oh, I'm sorry, I started with 31. Let's read 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Hey, here's what I want to do with our time here today I, I, I want to focus on this forgiveness part. And how as followers of Jesus, if you're in Christ, you and I were instructed, were commanded to forgive. Now, I think it's safe to say that we all need help uh, when it comes to situations that require forgiveness. Uh, sometimes very great situations. And, and maybe that's true of you today. And because you know, maybe for some of you here today, you're here and maybe you find yourself right now in an especially difficult place uh, with someone uh, or something that's happened in your past, and because of it, you know that you're hurt or you're angry, and honestly, um, you don't want to forgive. And, and maybe you think you've even got some good reasons to withhold forgiveness for something uh, that's happened. I, I think we've all been there. Or if we haven't all been there, um, you know, maybe we will be, or at least to some degree. And, and, and truthfully, you know, some of you are, are there. And maybe you're there today. I think it's also safe to say that every one of us, uh, whether we would agree to it or not, we practice forgiveness in some shape or form each day, or at least mercy. Like, you know, when you swing into the drive through at Starbucks, and, well, it's not until you're halfway to work that you realize that they messed up your caramel macchiato, all right? And we, we, we practice forgiveness or mercy in that moment. Or maybe your sandwich order gets messed up uh, at the meeting, and instead of letting it ruin your day, you, you just kind of let it go and... And I think we all appreciate forgiveness, don't we? Uh, especially when we want to be on the receiving end of it, you know, like when you mess up at home or uh, you mess up with your kids or you mess up in your marriage or something, or maybe you drop the ball on a group project at school or at work. And, and so you know when you need it, uh, you want someone to extend that grace and that forgiveness to you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was leaving here. I think it was a Thursday afternoon, and I was with our group's pastor, uh, Kevin, and uh, we swung into the little gas station uh, convenience mart just down the street here, and I wanted to, to get a beverage, and so I ran in real quick and went to the fountain and got a Powerade, and the next thing you know, I was sitting down in the car, and I had just turned to Kevin, and I said to him, I don't think I paid for this. And I looked up and the worker had just come out of the store and she was pointing at me and she's like, sir, you haven't paid for your drink. And I'm like, man, if I, I don't want to go down, you know, for a Powerade, you know, I mean, at least I should have grabbed a bag of Doritos or something, you know, made it a little more worth it. But uh, thankfully she extended that grace and that mercy uh, and that forgiveness uh, to me in that moment. We all need it, you know. Uh, when you're on the receiving end of it, you appreciate it, and uh, you're grateful for it. Hey, let me give you a definition. We'll come back to this in just a second. The word forgiveness simply means to cancel the debt, uh, to cancel the debt. And that means that someone hurts you, someone wrongs you, and because of it, they owe you something. And uh, we know that in a perfect world, there would be an admission and an apology, and then we forgive, but, but it doesn't always happen like that, does it? And, and unfortunately, some matters in life 
uh, aren't that easy. Well, today what I want to do is I want to get you thinking about those instances or those people in your life who, in your mind, well, forgiveness requires so much more. You know, like when someone's hurt you in a way uh, and they either deny it or they don't feel any remorse about it at all. Or how about when someone uh, does apologize, uh, but for you the pain is so deep that his or her apology uh, really makes no difference to you? Or what about, you know, for that someone, what, what if they're gone or if they're not really in the picture anymore? They're not around. Maybe they've passed away. Um, they may be gone, um, but you know the pain isn't. So here's my question uh, for you. Is there someone in your life right now who you can't forgive? Uh, I mean, who, who is the can't forgive uh, in your life? What they do? And what's standing in your way uh, with that forgiveness? You know, again, chances are that all of us will face or have faced a situation, and we're going to struggle to forgive. And because of it, we'll be forced Uh, to live with pain and things like bitterness and anger, and those have the potential to consume us. And do you know what? And here's the thing, too, that we've got to acknowledge, that we weren't meant to live like that. Uh, I mean, that's part of what the Apostle Paul wants us to see, is that we weren't meant to live with pain, and we weren't meant to live with bitterness in our lives. And Christian or not, you know, God doesn't want these things spoiling your, spoiling your life. He doesn't want the effects of bitterness and resentment to rule in you. And Paul calls that, he says, he calls that old self-living. And that's why he writes again in verse 31, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Paul says, get rid of it. You have to do something about it. And that means that if bitterness is whole or holding a grudge, uh, these things are pinned up inside of you, they need to come out. Now, we might stop there. We might say, well, he doesn't know my side of the story, right? I mean, he doesn't know what happened to me. And, and that may be true. But like it or not, what does he say for those of us who are in Christ? He says, if bitterness has taken root, if bitterness has taken a hold in your life, you have to get rid of it. There is no place for it in your life in Christ. That's old self-living. And so if we just stop right there, that means that if you're bitter right now uh, towards a coach maybe, a coach that doesn't play your kid, uh, you have to get rid of that bitterness. Like you have to do something about it. If, uh, if you're still bitter about a friend that cheated you out of some money or a bitter about a friend that's been gossiping or talking behind your back about you, Paul says that bitterness is not worth of it. He says you've got to get rid of it. Uh, if you're bitter about a boyfriend who cheated on you, and, and I'm not saying that you can't hurt, all right? I, I'm not saying that we can't hurt and that we can't experience pain, but if there's bitterness, we've got to take the steps to remove that bitterness from our life. I mean, if you've taken it upon yourself to regularly rip into people on Facebook, um, you might have some serious bitterness issues, and so it, it's time to work on getting rid of that. If you're still bitter about your divorce, Paul says, get rid of that bitterness. That's old self-living. If you're bitter about how mom or dad treated you or the way that your dad, um, you know, talked to you, he says, you've got to do the work and get rid of that bitterness. It's old self-living. Now, before you say, hey, I don't have a problem with bitterness, let me just say that I believe that it's possible for us to live in denial and anger about, well, bitterness and its effects on us and because of it, you know, we may not see the bitterness and, and you may not see it, but let me ask you this, what would your kids say? Would your kids say that there's a bitterness issue? Or how about your spouse or a close friend? 
Uh, if you're wanting to do some self-evaluation, I mean, what happens inside of you when that name comes up? Or even right now, as you start looking around the corner at things like Thanksgiving and Christmas and the possibility of seeing them or having to talk to them, you know, what happens inside of you? And so there are many times when we say that we don't have bitterness, but it's there. Other times we know it's in us, uh, but we don't want to get rid of it. All right, we don't want to deal with that bitterness. I mean, anyone relate with that? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, And instead of getting rid of it, we want to hold on to it because we know that getting rid of it would be like letting them win. I was reading this past week that in 1957, uh, Fortune magazine named American industrialist and oil tycoon uh, J. Paul Getty the richest man in America. And I was reading where Getty changed his will uh, 21 times uh, over the course of his life. Uh, Each time uh, when close friends or family members ticked him off, he would make the adjustments to remove them or to remove uh, a family from his particular will. You think he had some bitterness issues? Or some control issues, you know, at least with that bitterness. And so like Getty, you know, there are times where we don't want to get rid of the bitterness either because we feel empowered by it. We think that it gives us an edge or or a leverage or the right to tell our side of the story. But where does that bitterness get us? You know, it's like what someone once said, that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies from it. And, And so sometimes we don't recognize the bitterness in us. Other times we recognize it. And we don't want to get rid of it, but I think there's a third response too, and that is that maybe some of you would acknowledge that there's some bitterness and some anger and some resentment in you today, and something happened in your past, and there's pain because of it, and the hurt runs deep, and the bitterness is there, and so maybe we will acknowledge or would acknowledge that we're bitter, and we'd love to get rid of it, but we just don't know how. Or we'd go as far as saying, you know what, I'd like to forgive, but I can't or I don't know how to do it on my own. Well, the Apostle Paul has something to offer us, and uh, it's right here. And he knew something, too, about forgiveness. I mean, he experienced the power of forgiveness in his life. I mean, you can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 7, how a man by the name of Stephen was martyred for his faith in God, and Paul was there. And a member of the uh, Jewish ruling party at the time in Jerusalem, Paul, uh, who was actually formerly known as Saul, uh, oversaw the mob that executed uh, this follower of Jesus. Now, this was Paul before he knew Jesus, all right? This is old self Paul. And, And if you know the story, you know that as Stephen was dying, he cried out before the Lord, and it's recorded, Lord, don't hold this sin against these men. Forgive these men. Forgive these people. Lord, and so in Stephen's final moments, he forgave his attackers, and that means he forgave Paul. And Paul experienced that forgiveness, and I can only imagine that this had a lasting impact on Paul's life. And not only did Stephen forgive Paul, but not too long after this, Paul had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And so Paul knew and experienced the power of forgiveness on earth, but he also experienced the power of forgiveness from heaven. And because he was the recipient of of forgiveness, he was able and he was willing and he was strengthened uh, to forgive others too. And when it comes to Ephesians, all right, with this in mind and with Paul's story, I mean, don't forget that Paul's not writing this letter from a beach chair in the Caribbean, all right? He's writing this letter from prison. I mean, the same people that he's been trying to help have arrested him and have thrown him in prison. And so he's got plenty of reasons to be bitter and angry, but, but that's not the case with the Apostle Paul because he's in Christ. See, he's in Christ, and because he is completely dependent on his relationship with God and the strength that he finds in that, and through that, he forgives. 
He has set his heart on a way of living, a new way of living while he is here on this earth. And here's the thing. If the Apostle Paul is capable of forgiveness, why would it be any different for you and me? Why would it be any different from us? I mean, what's what's preventing you? What's standing in the way for you in your life for, for, for forgiving someone else today? I mean, who falls into that can't forgive uh, category for you? Verse 32, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. He says, there, there's an old way of living, and the new way of living says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgive you. Paul's not just saying that we are to be kind and compassionate towards those people who are kind and compassionate to us. He is actually telling Christians, he's telling people like you and me, Genesis Church, to be kind and compassionate towards others in our lives, and that things like bitterness and resentment have no place for those of us who are in Christ. He says, we, we are called, we are instructed, we are commanded to forgive. Paul says, forgive as you've been forgiven. Now, I know that there are so many questions about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, and I want to go over a few of those with you. And if you've got uh, the message notes uh, when you came in today, I want to go through a list of those things that forgiveness is, uh, those things that forgiveness isn't with you. Kind of briefly, I came across this list, and uh, again, we'll go through these uh, kind of fast, but hopefully uh, some of these might bring some clarity for you and wherever you are in your life right now. First of all, let's uh, do what forgiveness is. Again, uh, the first thing, forgiveness is a decision to cancel the debt. Uh, to cancel a debt. That means that when someone sins against you, a debt is accrued. And so when you forgive, you're relinquishing your right to make them repay that debt to you. And so forgiveness is a decision to cancel the debt. Second thing is this, forgiveness is removing the control that your offender uh, may have over you. Uh, Because when we refuse to forgive, what we do is we allow our offender and their offense to maintain some emotional presence Uh, and power in our life, influence in our life. But when you forgive, you not only release uh, them, you not only release the offender from this debt, but you also free yourself from it too. The third thing is that forgiveness is a gift uh, to your offender and to yourself. Now, you may not realize this, but things like bitterness can take a physical toll uh, on your body in in, in the form of things like anxiety and and stress and high blood pressure. And and so forgiveness has the potential to lead to a reduction in these. And as Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 explains, uh, bitterness not only affects you, but it is like this bitter root that grows up inside of us and not only in us, but from us, and it has the power Uh, to impact others around us too. And so forgiveness is the gift of a healthier self, not only for you, but also to the people around you. And along those same lines, uh, forgiveness means moving from a life that is centered on your pain or on that person to instead a life that is centered on God. And that just means that instead of your identity being found in what happened or in what they did to you, your identity can be found in Jesus Christ and in his power and his work and healing in your life. Uh, The fourth thing is that forgiveness is forsaking revenge. It's setting that aside because we want revenge, right? I mean, that's a natural reaction in me. That's a natural reaction in all of us. I mean, our culture 
says take revenge. It's kind of like the story of the grizzly bear uh, that was at Yellowstone National Park that would often walk right out in front of all the people in the campers and eat uh, the discarded uh, campers' food. Now, no person or animal dared uh, near, or go near the uh, grizzly bear when they were eating. Uh, that is, until one day this uh, little skunk uh, waddled right into the middle where this bear was eating and helped himself. Now, if you think about it, the bear could have pulverized uh, this little skunk uh, Uh, in a second, but instead the grizzly bear walked away. Now, why? Well, the bear knew that there was a high cost for getting even, all right? There was a a high cost uh, to taking out this skunk's life. It's kind of like the Chinese proverb that says that a person who seeks revenge should dig two graves, all right? The truth is that when we think about revenge, revenge may temporarily calm our rage, but the fact is that it can never undo the wrong. And so the old self says, get revenge. The new self in Christ says, forgive. And forgiveness is leaving what happened up to God. And Romans 12, 19 promises that vengeance belongs to him, that he will sort out all of the wrongs on this earth and in your life in time, uh, which leads us to this next one, that forgiveness is leaving justice to God. It's trusting him with that justice. It's trusting him with how things get resolved. Uh, Number six, uh, forgiveness is a process. Uh, It is a decision, but it's also a process, a day-by-day process at the very same time. I mean, we may think or you may think that you've forgiven them, and maybe you did, and in that moment you were very sincere about it, but have you ever had someone else come along in life and rip open that exact same wound? Or, Or maybe you learned some new information, and all of a sudden it hurts all over again, and so sometimes forgiveness has to be a daily decision for us. It's a part of a process it, 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 because things like healing and things like trust and reconciliation take time. And we'll talk about those uh, in just a moment. Uh, number seven, uh, forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. And that's not easy. And, and I'm not even saying that maybe you have to be there today or that his, this has to come anytime soon. But because maybe you can't imagine, you know, wanting something like that, but But it's why forgiveness is a process, that in forgiving our offenders, we start the process of moving them or moving from wanting them to suffer and to pay to wanting them to repent and be changed and to be changed by God's love and his grace. And so that's a little bit about what forgiveness is. Let's look at the other side of what forgiveness isn't. Uh, First, forgiveness isn't denying the sin. All right, and forgiving someone, we're not saying that nothing happened or that it wasn't a big deal or that I'm not hurting from it anymore. But what instead it means is that forgiveness as a Christian says that sin happened and that it was such a big deal that Jesus died for it, that his death covered it too and covered that sin. Number two, forgiveness is not enabling the sin. It shouldn't be. Uh, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean we allow people, uh, especially those who are close to us, to continue in the same cycle of their sin. It doesn't mean that we can't confront what happened or expect them to get help. I mean, we can forgive someone while still being very truthful about their behavior uh, or about their attitudes or actions. Uh, number three, forgiveness is not dependent on an apology. You know, sometimes our offenders will acknowledge what they did and how it was wrong and seek out forgiveness, but sometimes they won't. 
I mean, it doesn't always happen like that. And so there may be times when we don't even know who it was or, or maybe the person is long gone or they're, or they're dead. And either way, we're called to forgive whether there's an apology or not. And I just thought this was fascinating that Christianity is unique in this way. And in fact, if you explore the major world religions today, so many of the major world religions expect for there to be an apology before there is forgiveness. And Christianity is unique in that. Uh, number four, uh, forgiveness is not overlooking a crime uh, that's been committed. I mean, we can forgive and we can still seek legal action uh, or even justice. And so um, I want to encourage you today that if you were the victim of a crime, uh, you should seek professional counsel uh, or advice in order to take the appropriate next steps. I mean, you getting help uh, might protect someone else. Uh, number four, five, uh, forgiveness is not forgetting. Uh, we like to say that at times, but forgiveness means uh, that you don't have to go back to the position uh, that you were once in so that you can be hurt all over again or that you would potentially put yourself in a position of danger. Uh, you can forgive, but that doesn't mean that things have to go back to the way they used to be. Uh, number six, forgiveness is not trust. Uh, forgiveness is a decision. It takes a moment. Trust takes time. I like the way that one person said it. He says, rebuilding trust takes consistent truth-telling plus time. And finally, and I think this is so important for all of us, because I think this may be the one thing that stands in the way at times of us forgiving, and that is that forgiveness is not reconciliation. All right, there, there is a difference. Uh, forgiveness is the decision on the part of one person. Reconciliation takes two people. All right, And that means that unless there is an admission of sin, repentance, and forgiveness, reconciliation can occur. And I think we all know that reconciliation takes time. And, and in, some case, in some cases, reconciliation may never happen. But regardless, forgiveness is the beginning of the process because true reconciliation won't happen without forgiveness. You know, one of my favorite stories about the challenge uh, and yet the power of forgiveness comes out of the uh, life of one person who survived the horrors of a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. Uh, Corey Tinboom uh, was arrested and mistreated by the Nazis at Ravensbrück concentration camp during World War II. And uh, she had a sister named Betsy, uh, who was also a prisoner who died there. And after Corey was released, uh, at the end of World War II, she was speaking at a church in Munich, Germany, uh, and a prison guard that she recognized from that very same camp where she suffered ended up coming to her at the end of the service and, and wanting to shake her hand. And uh, uh, she, she, she wrote this, and I just want to read this to you, what this experience was like in that moment. Uh, she wrote uh, this person saying, A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, Corey writes, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than shake his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, his hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, she writes, I whose sins had every, 
uh, day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have not been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. She writes, since the end of the war, I'd had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that, and I stood still there with the coldness clutching my heart. She writes, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then this this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, She writes, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Can you imagine? Can you imagine confronting a person like that and then extending forgiveness in the moment? I mean, where do you find strength like that? To forgive. You know, I think that tension might be where some of you are today right now. And you know the person, and you know the act. And maybe even realize some of that pain and that bitterness and resentment and fear and hurt that is still ruling over and affecting your life. And, and maybe you find yourself asking the question, how could I forgive? I don't know how I could forgive. Paul writes to us, he says, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, he leaves us no option. And I know that for some of you here today, um, maybe you want to, you're ready to forgive. Uh, But others of you, maybe you can't. Or you just don't know how. And so you find yourself asking, where does that strength come from? Well, the answer is here in these words. And if you're taking notes, write this down. That that, that strength comes as we remember that you, that we are forgiven in Christ. That's where it starts. uh, As we experience this. Paul says, forgive as you have been forgiven. And that's just a reminder to us that in love, Jesus came to this earth and he died on the cross and he substituted himself for my sins and took God's wrath upon his life on the cross for me. And not only did he do that for me, but he did that for you. Jesus, he, he took that debt and he placed it upon himself and he died for you. And that means that for you, if you're in Christ, God has forgiven all of your sins. They're covered, they're washed away. And that's why Jesus was able to shout from the cross, it is finished. Because in that moment, your sins and my sins, they were paid for and you were forgiven. Do you know that? 
Do you appreciate that in your life today? I mean, do you appreciate the power of his forgiveness for you and for others that are around you right now? The Apostle Paul says that if you do, you can. You are able to extend that same forgiveness to those who have wronged you, just as Christ did for you. And so we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. And when you do that, what we find is that you can forgive in Christ. Um, Because you are forgiven in Christ, you can forgive in Christ. Paul shows us that we have two choices. Again, that there's an old self way of living and it leads to bitterness, but the new way, the new way for us, for those of us who are in Christ is the way of forgiveness. Because again, bitterness, it, it is a bitter, it is this root that grows up in us, not only affecting our lives, but has the potential to defile people around us. Forgiveness, on the other hand, changes things. It changes things. And what God wants for you is a life where you refuse to get caught up into things like bitterness and instead you choose forgiveness. That is, we we experience the transforming power of forgiveness in our lives each day and we forgive as we've been forgiven. You know, last week Kevin pointed out how transformation happens best in relationship. I think it's fair to say that forgiveness happens best through relationship, that the strength I need to forgive and to live for him, it's going to come out of my relationship with Jesus. That means that whatever I need, he has. And whatever you need right now for your life and whatever next steps you need to take, it's in him and it's available to you and, and for you. And as we learn to abide in him, what we find is that he has every thing we need. And so let me ask you again, do you have a can't forgive right now in your life? And what would it mean for you to make the decision to let go of that, that bitterness or that resentment or begin the process of moving towards forgiveness in your life today? You know, I think we have a a great opportunity to remember that um, as we take communion uh, this morning together uh, as a family Uh, and as a church. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to get up from your seats and to go to one of these two tables in the front of the room or in the back of the room, and uh, you're going to grab a cup. Uh, Don't be surprised to find that it's two cups. Take both of them. The juice is in the top. The cracker is in the bottom. When we come together to celebrate communion, we come to remember. And and so for you, Maybe for those of you today that you would say, you know, I'm a Christian, I've trusted Jesus, I am in Christ. Uh, I want to ask you that before you take communion today, would you spend some time reflecting and maybe just asking the Lord, is there something, is there someone in my life who I must forgive today? Or maybe at least that you would say, okay, I don't know if I can make this a done deal today, but Father, as I take this, as I remember what you've done for me, I want to at least begin the process of moving towards forgiveness and reconciliation and healing in my life or in the life of someone else around me today. We do that as we remember, as we reflect on what Christ has done for us and in us. And uh, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, you're still kind of checking this out, I think there's something in this for you too. And you can feel comfortable to remain in your seat and, and maybe just ask yourself, have you ever experienced the forgiveness of Christ for your life? Uh, he died for you. 
Uh, his forgiveness is available to you. And while we experience that, we just remember that as we take communion today. What's standing in the way of you taking that next step? What's standing in the way of you experiencing Christ's forgiveness for your life today? Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for Jesus, for, for his life, his death and sacrifice. And uh, we thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. And God, I pray that we would experience the power of that forgiveness right now. Uh, in communion, uh, in our time of reflection, in our prayers, uh, in our singing here before you. Uh, Set us free, Lord, uh, to live for you and in Christ. And uh, for those that are here today that don't have a relationship with Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would use this time that they might experience you in ways they never have before. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, You're welcome to go now. And when you're ready, you take communion on your own.